Hi everyone. I'm praying that God will bless this time as we go back into a time of lockdown. That we'll have time to focus, to pray, to share that precious fellowship with God that he seems to be allowing at this time. And I pray for each one of you as you listen and as you read the notes on this that your experience of God would deepen and that you would be filled with the hope that is a certainty in the Bible, that God is in charge, he knows what he's doing and he has something for us both in this time and in the near future. Well, I don't know if you've... Uh, been reflecting on the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. Remember that Paul isn't writing because there's a problem in Ephesus. He's writing to make a statement about uh, what it is to be a heavenly person, how that involves us in the heavenly places and uh, understanding a mystery of God, which we're to declare in the heavenly places Um that we discover our purpose, which is about holiness and blamelessness. And now in the last three chapters, he's talking about how to live here on earth, heavenly people on earth, living an earthly life on earth. And I don't know if you've had big changes in your lives, whether you've uh, changed a job, gone to um, a new home, uh, maybe change schools or done some training and there are times in your life where you reflect on what you were and what you now are uh, you might say to yourself something like oh I remember when I was and this is really what uh, Paul is going to keep talking about there is something binary because there is walking in the light and walking in darkness there's walking in the way of the Gentiles there's not walking in the way of the Gentiles. There's walking in love, there's not walking in love, and there's walking in wisdom, and there's not walking in wisdom. Well, um, I pray that God would help us to understand what it is that he would have for us today. Jesus said, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Now, how are people to know that you and I are followers of Jesus? Well, because the way that we live cannot be hidden. Now, we have already learnt that Jesus is not talking about a physical city. He's not talking about a, a temple in the style of uh, the Temple of Artemis, you know, this huge uh, place with lots of history, even by the time of Paul. He's talking about uh, a temple made of living people, living stones, spiritual people, a spiritual house. And yet the impact of Christians living as Christians in this world is to be as a city on a hill that can't be hidden. There should be light there, there should be love there, there should be wisdom there. And um, today, I'm going to look at this idea that Paul 
gives his disciples, uh, give, sorry, gives his uh, readers that sense of what they should what they should do, how they should live in the world. Well, four sections, all about walking. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Section one. That's from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Walk in love. That's Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 5. Walk in light. Ephesians 5, 6 to 14. And walk in wisdom. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 15 to 32. That's a lot to get through. Let's go. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk, says Paul. And he makes it quite clear that he is setting a standard of common holiness in the way that people go about their lives that will be different to everybody else around them. Remember that Artemis was that goddess who could be the goddess of childbirth, but she could also be the goddess of death at childbirth. She was the goddess of chastity, but she was also the goddess of fertility. In other words, it was easy for people to imagine that their gods had dual natures, that they were in some way moral and immoral, that they were good and bad, that there was light and darkness in them. But Paul says that in God there is no darkness. So don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Now, the great image that he has of this is in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 4. Put on the Messiah or put on Christ. Put him on like a costume. Now, we've all heard about method actors, haven't we? You know, that they, um, that they live the part, that they, that, they, that they put on the part and they become the part. And maybe that's a helpful way of looking at how we are to put on Christ, that we're to rehearse him, that we are to take his part to to read his lines in life but I think there's something else as well that if you think there are some occupations where putting on the costume may, means that you become the the thing that you, that you want to be so uh, if you work for the RNLI for example you may volunteer for them in saving lives but you might be working in a bar or something like that now imagine the klaxon goes off the bartender becomes the rescuer and they do it by putting on the clothing putting on the rescuer's outfit and really this is the impact that Paul wants us to have and so what what will what will we throw off as we put on Christ well corruption and futility and darkness um, hard-heartedness overwhelming sexual desire which comes up again sinful thoughts greed they're all the old life and more than this, he gives us some examples of things that we really have to overcome. Anger is one of them. Now, anger causes sin. And so to eradicate, to, to rub out the impact or the effects of sin, Paul says that we shouldn't let our the sun go down on our anger. In other words, Deal with things quickly. How many problems are caused in church? Because we nurse our anger with one another. And that anger leads us to sin. 
bad ways of talking about each other, bad ways of thinking about each other. And over time, these become compounded. And often, it would be a mercy if we could all split apart, but instead we nurse our anger with one another. Paul says, don't even let the sun go down on it. And uh, what about work? Well, stealing is not appropriate. Working is appropriate. And, you know, again, it's a challenge for us today when work is such a difficult thing to come by. And when we do come by, it's not always that uh, rewarding. But Paul says that's better than theft. And obviously, there are people in the church in Ephesus who've turned from theft and he's encouraging them to do a day's work. That's the right thing to do. Walk not as the Gentiles walk. Don't steal. What about not using rotten talk? Build up with the tongue, says Paul. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this teaches us something important about the Holy Spirit, that he is personal, that he's a person, and that the Holy Spirit has, in a sense, those emotions, an emotional reaction to the way that we are. I guess the Holy Spirit can be disappointed when we're not obedient or when we're not following or listening to him. And so don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He must be constant. He must be aware uh, and he demands something of us, that following that obedience. And then to leave behind bitterness, anger, wrath, insult, slander. They all offend the Holy Spirit. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness. These please the Holy Spirit. So that's really the blueprint for how we're to live in society. And Paul scatters the ideas of, you know, how to walk as we used to walk. And, and we're not to do it anymore. All of this, uh, all of this sinful living and sinful thought. And he gives us some ideas about how to deal with some of those essential temptations and sins. What would your neighbours and your family say about you? Do you walk as the Gentiles walk? In other words, do you walk as you used to walk? Or has Christ changed who you are and what you are? Well... As we go on, we find in Ephesians 5 verses 1 to 5 that we are to walk in love and picking up this idea that we put on Christ, we put on his costume, we live as he is to live, we live in the role that he has for us. We're also told to imitate God, be imit therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us. And gave himself for us. Well, there he is. Jesus the Messiah and his sacrificial love. That is the love that we're to walk in. That agape love. That love that comes out of who God is himself. Now, there is pleasure in this act of love. And God takes pleasure in it. And again, to walk in love is to adjust our behaviour. Sexual morality is important. Purity is important. Remember that we are chosen, we are predestined to be holy and blameless. So those things are important to God. Now, 
Paul brings this up because the people in Ephesus, those Gentiles, and not the Jews, remember, because the Jews had the law, the synagogue, the teaching of the prophets, uh, and so on. They weren't expected to live as the Gentiles had lived, but the, but the Gentile background believers had been fairly used to taking time off to go and sleep with a, a temple prostitute if they were seeking the um, a, a blessing on their family. There were all kinds of sexual practices associated with religion. And Paul says, that is not to be. Even crude or sexual comments are not to have a place with believers. And there is an inheritance at stake here. No sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. So, spiritual people, heavenly people, holy people, live as those holy people on earth. And there is the offer, the assurance of an inheritance for you. Walk in love. Imitate God. Well, our third idea is walking in the light. Walk in the light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, we read in verse 8. And the thing is, this is one of the great hopes that we have as Christians. Jesus gives us the hope that we can walk in the light. Now, it's not an exaggeration to say that the world we live in is somewhat dark. But God provides a way through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit and by the teaching of the apostles that we can walk in light. Of course, you can't partner with people who are not part of that light and there's a, a warning for us but light has this impact on us doesn't it first of all it helps us to see the deceit and the darkness in our own selves God's light is able to light up the, the dark corners in our lives and to expose it and that brings us some hope because we can bring those things to God and say Lord God take these from me forgive me, I repent of them, and we can grow as a result of this. But the exposure of light is also outside of us as well. And rather than seeing the world as this sort of, um, you know, like the, the lollipop tree or whatever, you know, where everything is so attractive, actually the world has shown up for what it is. It's temporary nature, it's deceitful nature and so on. And this helps us, of course, to walk in the light and then the light also provides a way of illumination how we can be fruitful have you noticed that God enables you to see what his good pleasing and perfect will is as promised in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 where Paul talks about the renewing of the mind the enlightening of the mind and we're told that Jesus is the light. 
The light was the life of men, says John. And so there is a connection between light and life. God is light. In him is no darkness at all, says John later in one of his letters, 1 John 1. And of course, God himself brings creation to be on the words, let there be light. So we can pick a theme here that heavenly people are enlightened people and they live in the light and they enlighten other people. They're part of a blessing. They're able to be fruitful in a world of darkness. So dwell on this thought. God made you to be a lamp, a vessel of light. So walk in the light. And finally, walk in wisdom. Now, I've read on till uh, the end of chapter 5, uh, Ephesians 5, 15 to 32, because I don't think there's an accident here that Paul concentrates on the relationship that's very fitting to explore whether a person is in Christ or not, because there's no place to hide for married people, is there? His advice to wives and husbands is not about one having supremacy or power over the other. It's about how to relate to one another with the example of Jesus' love at the centre. Christ loved the church. He loved it so much. He gave himself for the church. He lavished his life. He lavished his loveliness on the church. His body was broken for the church. His teaching and his life were for the church. His spirit and his joy are for the church. Therefore, says Paul, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Hear the tenderness, the desire, the ageless commitment of Jesus to his bride. Read the Song of Songs. Read Revelation 20 and 21, where Christ is waiting expectantly for his bride. His love is the standard and husbands must live to that standard because that's the place where our Christian life really is seen. And wives, yes, if your husband's loving and temperate and has put on Christ and there's no, then there's no inferiority in submission because the husband submits in love to Christ. And the wife and the husband become one flesh, says Paul in verse 31. So that's the standard. All around the church people at Ephesus, the non-believers were throwing themselves out of marriage and into a sexual relationship. They were annulling any sense of love or commitment. But Paul says marriage is central to your outliving the life of the heavenly person on earth. So take marriage seriously. Base your loving actions on the highest source. That's how to walk in wisdom. And this is the most practical thing of all, says Paul. Walk in wisdom. Here are the don'ts. Uh, don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. And don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Now, he's talking about filling up ourselves, our lives, with some sort of idolatrous, addictive uh, worship that is not good for us and it takes us out of our senses. It takes us away from our ability to walk rationally or to walk in wisdom. Wine isn't the sin. The excess of wine 
that is the sin. But here is the greatest. So if we have don't do, we've got do be. Don't do the overfilling of wine. Don't do the addictive behaviour. But do be. Do be filled with the Spirit. And here is the wisdom because being filled with the wisdom, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is synonymous with biblical wisdom. As we see when um, Stephen is chosen out of the sort of mini apostles or the, 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 the mini leaders uh, in the early church because he is filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. You can read about that in Acts 7 and 8. Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit and to go on being filled with the Spirit. So this is not just the filling of the Spirit that comes to Peter and the disciples. When they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. No, this is a continual going on being filled with the Spirit. And God gives the Spirit without measure. There are no limits to how God can move in each one of us if we ask for his wisdom and his Holy Spirit to be, to be filled by it and to be filled again and to be filled again. The Ephesians need to live as heavenly people in a very earthy place. So what about us? How are we to live as God's people, avoiding the darkness, avoiding conformity to the world around us, becoming fruitful and enlightened and pleasing to God? Well, we need to be filled with him. We need to be filled beyond measure and we need to go on being filled. How? Ask and you will receive. The Lord withholds no good thing from the one who asks. Go on and ask to be filled. Go on and ask to be filled. And it shall be. This is the promise of scripture. And this is the only true wisdom. That uh, th This is the only true source of wisdom. Because in it is the ability to walk in the light the ability to walk in love and the ability to avoid walking as the Gentiles walked, as Paul says. And so there's a key to this whole passage. Well, Lord God, we ask you today to fill us with your Holy Spirit and to continue filling us, shape us and change us and increase in us a hunger for you Help us to learn to listen to you each day. Help us to walk not as the Gentiles. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk as imitators of Christ in love. And help us to walk in wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.